Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Hope everybody had a great spring break. How many of you had a great spring break? Good spring break. How many of you say, I didn't get a spring break? Just raise your hand. I'm an adult and I have to work. I'm so glad that you are here. Hope you had a great, great week. And man, I'm excited about what God wants to do in this place today. Let's just start with a little question. And I need a little hands, a uh, little bit of audience participation, hands held high. How many of you have ever been jealous of somebody before? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it really, really high. All right, now put it down. Let's be a little bit more specific. How many of you have ever been jealous of a sibling before? Raise your hand. Come on, brother, sister, whatever. Man, I was thinking about this. I remember when I was a kid, I was 16 years old. I got my first car. Do you remember your first car? My first car was a 1981 Ford Mustang. Come on, hot rod, right? Some of you are like, hot rod. Well, mine wasn't so much a hot rod because it was a four-cylinder, four in the floor. It sounded like this. Ween, ween. In fact, my friends called it the kazoo. I'm not lying. They called it the kazoo because the way that it sounded. And I was pretty happy with it whenever I first got it because it was like, man, I got wheels. I got a way to get around. And I was happy with my first car until my sister, who is a couple of years younger than me, got her first car and then jealousy set in. How many know what I'm talking about right there, right? Because she got a much better car than mine. I mean, I had a 1981 Mustang. She got a 1989 Pontiac Grand Dam. Come on, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it had automatic windows. They even had a CD player, and I'm like, that's not fair. And sometimes being the oldest is just not fair. Do we have any oldest in the house today, right? Right, right, right. And so sometimes we're a little bit jealous of our siblings, and it kind of reminds me of this story that we're going to talk about today in this series that we've been doing. We're going to wrap it up today called Moral of the Story. So everybody say, Moral of the Story. And what we've been doing in this series, <clears throat> excuse me, is we've been looking at some of the parables and some of the stories that Jesus told. And we've just been kind of finding what is the moral of the story? What is the spiritual principle that Jesus wants us to see in some of these powerful parables that he taught? And we've looked at several of them. We started last week by looking at one of the most famous of all of the parables. In fact, probably every one of you have heard it before. How many ever heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Anybody heard that before? Right? And we talk, called it last week, the parable of the lost son. And we started looking at this. And I told you that there's so much in this parable that we couldn't just look at it one week. I mean, it's packed full of principles. And so today we're going to look at kind of the second part of this principle. It's kind of like the sequel. Anybody like sequels, right? We're going to look at that a little bit today. And so if you have your Bibles, you might go ahead and turn there to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at that today. If you're in your, in your LifeGate app, you may want to look there. If your notes are not there, you need to update your app because we've had some updates on that and make sure and do that. And let me just set it up for you while you're turning there. We talked about this last week that there was, there was a man who had two sons. Jesus says, hey, there was this guy, he had two sons and his younger son one day comes to him and says, dad, I really want my inheritance and I don't want to wait till you've died to get my inheritance. In fact, I want my inheritance now, and those of you that are parents, you can understand probably how that made the father feel as basically the son was incredibly insulting as he was saying, I don't really want you, dad. I just really want your stuff. I almost like wish you were dead so that I could have your stuff. And you can imagine how that must have made the father feel. And yet the father had great mercy and great love and compassion for his son. And so he went and he found his inheritance and he gave it to the son. And then what did the son do? 
do. You know the story well. The son went off to a foreign country, basically went off to Vegas, and he basically squandered all that his father had given him. He partied, and he did it all up really good. And man, he had girlfriends and friends until all of the money ran out. And then when all the money ran out, the younger son found himself in a pig pen, looking at the pig's food and saying, man, I wish I had to eat what they have to eat. And suddenly a thought came to him and he thought, maybe if I could just go back to my father's house, maybe he would accept me, maybe not as a son anymore, but maybe he would accept me as at least a servant in his house and I would at least have something to eat. I would have a roof over my head. And so he picked himself up and he began the journey home. And we see that in the story, Jesus says, as the son is walking towards home, the father is at the end of the road watching for his son to return return home and when he sees him off in the distance he runs towards him and he embraces him and he welcomes him back into the house and he says let's throw a big party for my son who was lost is now found my son who was dead he is now alive again and cue the music I'm telling you this is incredible end of the story we could have seen just as I am have an altar call everybody get saved and then go to roses to eat after church what a great ending to the story but that wasn't the end of the story in fact there wasn't just one son there were two sons in the story and this is where we pick up here in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 25 let's read it together and Jesus says and meanwhile the older son was in the field And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, for the father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. Verse 28, check this out. And the older brother became angry. Everybody say angry. Became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look... All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed even one of your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But now when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we must celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The older brother's attitude was not exactly the same attitude as the father. In fact, this leads us to kind of the moral of the story. And throughout this series, what we've tried to do is just really try to whittle these these stories down to one kind of key thought, one kind of key main point, moral of the story. And we've done that every week. But this week, I just, there was just so much in there. We got to have three morals of the story, all right? So if you're taking notes, write this down. Moral of the story number one is basically this. It is possible to remain in the Father's house and not have the Father's heart. In fact, check this out. Look, look what it says again in verse number 25. He says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And verse 27 says, Your brother has come home, for the father has killed the fatted calf, because he is now back safe and sound. And the older brother was angry, and he refused To go in. Now think about this for just a second. Here's the older brother, and the older brother was the faithful one. 
He was the responsible one. He was the consistent one. He was the one who stayed home and did what he should have done while his little brother went out and partied it up. And here he was. He was the rule follower and the people pleaser. Now, let me just ask you, do we have any rule followers in the house? Come on, any of you? Most of you probably are the firstborn, the oldest in the child, people pleaser that just kind of do everything right. Now, how many, do we have any rule breakers here? Just raise your hand there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about this. You know, I have, I have two daughters and now I have a little boy. That's pretty cool. And I have my oldest daughter who is just turned 13 yesterday. I'm super proud of her. She is amazing, amazing young lady. And she's the firstborn and she is one of those people that are the rule followers. If you know what I'm talking about, like she does it all right. She colors inside the line. She makes sure and crosses every T and dots every I. And I mean, she just keeps everything inside the rules. She loves Jesus with all her heart, does all the right things. She just takes after her daddy. You know, I'm just saying she just... She, she really does. In fact, I was thinking about this just this couple of, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was. She came, I picked her up from school and she's in middle school now. And so she was like, dad, you know, in middle school, we don't get to, we don't get to chew gum in class, but some of my friends, they do it anyway. And I was like, really, baby, well, do you chew gum in class anyway? And she was, no, no, dad, that'd be against the rules. I mean, what are you thinking, right? And that's kind of, that's kind of the way she is. Now, my, my youngest daughter, she's a little bit more of a free spirit, you know? I mean, she's a little bit more, she doesn't fall follow all the rules. She makes her own rules. Anybody like that, right? And she kind of takes after her mom. I'm just, I'm just saying she just kind of, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing. But here's the deal. Here's this older brother and here he is. He's the rule follower. While his, while his younger brother was going out and partying and making a, making a scene and doing all this stuff, wasteful and all this, here's the, here's the older brother, and he stays at home, and he does what he's supposed to do, and he's faithful, and he's consistent, and he's the responsible one, and he follows all of the rules. But it is quite obvious that even though he was in the father's house, he didn't necessarily possess the father's heart. In fact, we see it in his attitude here. I mean, just check it out. In verse number 28, it says that the older brother become angry and he refused to even go in. I mean, basically, he just throws a little temper tantrum, right? I mean, how many know what I'm saying? Like those of you that, have parents, that are parents have kids, you know what I'm talking about when the kid just says, I'm not going and I'm not going to do it. And here he is. I mean, think about this for a second. Here he is. He's the oldest brother. He's the one who is supposed to be mature. And yet he's the one who's acting immature. He's the one, he's the one who had been with the father the longest, and yet he seems to understand the father's heart the least. And the truth of the matter is, the sad fact today is that you can be a Christian and you can be in the Father's house. You can obey all the rules and you can do all the right stuff and you can never break a commandment and you can be at church every single Sunday and give in the offering every single week and you can say amen the loudest and you can follow all of God's rules and be in His house and still very by a long way miss the Father's real and true hearts. And I see it. I see it all the time. And I see people who, and you know, I'm the one that goes to church. I grew up in church, been in church all my life, do all the right stuff and say all the right stuff and have all the rules followed. But deep down in my heart, I'm not where I ought to be. On the outside, it's all good. But deep down on the inside, 
My heart is not where it ought to be. In fact, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25. Look what he says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, what is that word there? Everybody say it out loud. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law. You, There's that word again. Everybody say it again. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and every Everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and uh, wickedness. I know everybody's looking at them, but look right up here for just a second. You didn't hear a word I just said, did you? Here's what here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, it's one thing to have it all together on the outside. And don't we do that sometimes in church? Man, we got it all together on the outside. Man, we're wearing our Sunday best. And man, we're in God's house. And I'm a good Christian and I got it all together. But Jesus said, hey, it's not just about what's going on on the outside. It's about what's happening on the inside. And here's the older brother who was in the father's house. He was the responsible one. He was the good one. He did what he was supposed to do. But deep down inside his heart, there was wickedness that was going on. Come on, y'all with me? Moral of the story, number one, you can stay in the Father's house and still not have the Father's heart. Number two, write this down. It is possible to have the Father's job, to do the Father's job, and to not have the Father's joy. Man, here's what, here's what we see in this passage. Look at it again in verse number 28. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have, look at this word, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. Listen to his attitude. He says, in all that time you never even gave me one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, notice this, he doesn't even call him his brother. He says, hey, this son of yours, when he returns home after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf for him. Listen to this. Here's here's the older brother, and he's in the father's house, and he's doing the father's job. I mean, he's taking care of the sheep, and he's taking care of the fields, and he's doing all the stuff that all the chores and all the stuff that he should have been doing for the father. But you notice right there that he doesn't exactly have joy in doing what the father has asked him to do. In fact, I mean, listen to his attitude. He calls himself. A slave. I mean, think about this for a second. Here's this, this, this older brother who is a son of the father, and yet he says, I'm like a slave around here. I do whatever you want me to do. Now, think about the contrast to this, all right? Here's the younger brother that goes away and gets a little perspective on things and on life, and he wakes up one day and goes, hey, I wish I could just be a servant in my father's house, right? Come on. And now here's this other son who's been in the father's house the whole time. And he goes, I'm like a slave in my father's house. Do you notice the difference in the attitude? He's basically like, hey, I've been around here slaving for all this stuff, doing all this stuff. And nobody even recognized me. Nobody threw me a party. Nobody, nobody, you know, made me volunteer the month. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like... I just been around here slaving and I do it all the time. My brother went off and he goes off and parties and does his thing. And here I am being the responsible one doing the stuff that I ought to do. And does that sound familiar in church a little bit sometimes? 
Like, where's all the people? They're out there doing their thing. And I'm here every single Sunday. Man, I'm on the worship team, and I'm faithful, and I do it every week. And I teach them kids, even when somebody doesn't show up and they call in sick, I'm the one they call, and I do it all. Well, come on, how many know what I'm saying? And nobody ever even said hi to me, and nobody ever even said thank you for doing that for me. And they didn't make me volunteer of the month. What about me? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's the attitude that the older brother has. And here he is. He's doing the father's work. He's doing the father's job. But he doesn't have the father's joy in why he is doing it. Let me just ask you a little question here today. Let me just talk to the church people for just a second today. If you're, if you're not a regular church attender, hey, we're so glad that you are here today. But I, I want to talk to just the church people for just a second. Is that all right? All right. Let me just ask you something. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do it? I mean, think about it. When you serve, when you volunteer, when you're involved in the church, when you do the things that you do, let's just get down to the heart of the matter. Why do you do it? Do you do it so that someone will recognize you? Do you do it so that someone will pat you on the back, so someone will, someone will say, you know, hey, good job, or I saw how great you did? Or do you do it because you love the Father and you love His house? See, this is, what, this is what Jesus was actually talking about in this passage in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Look what he says. He says, watch out. Everybody look at your neighbor. Tell him, watch out. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to what? To be admired by others. For you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. For when you give to someone in need, don't do it as, as look at there, there's that word again, as hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And give your gifts in private and your father who, who sees what? Who sees, come on, who sees what? Who sees everything will reward you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, when you're serving in the Father's house, don't do it so that other people will recognize you and so that other people will see you. And if that is the reason that you are doing it, hey, there's nothing wrong with being volunteer of the month and someone saying good job and appreciating you. And we should do that as a church. That's why we do volunteer of the month, right? But if that's the only reason that you're doing what you're doing, let me just tell you something. You're doing it for the wrong reason. And when someone says, if that's the reason you're doing it, when someone says, hey, good job, guess what? That's your reward. You got your reward there, and you're not going to get your reward from your father in heaven. Come on, that's harsh, but it's, it's the truth. But here's the thing. If we, if we do what we do, we don't do it for the approval of others, but we do it because we love God and because we love his house. Here's what happens is that there will be a joy in doing what God has called us to do. And we will do it as a flow of joy in our hearts. And we will receive our reward in heaven. And here's, here's the deal. I mean, here's the kicker, guys. All right? If you do what you do so that others will appreciate you and tell you how great you are and all of that kind of stuff, eventually... Eventually, you will wind up doing it begrudgingly with no joy in your heart because eventually those accolades and those pats on the back, they will begin to dry up. And even if they don't, when things get hard and when you're tired and when you don't really feel like it, it won't be enough to keep you going anyway if you don't do it for the right motives. So you got to settle the issue. Everybody say settle the issue. You got to settle the issue right now. Why do I do what I do? 
I do it because I love God. And even if no one ever says thank you, and we should say thank you, but even if no one ever says thank you, even if no one ever recognizes me, even if I get passed over time and time and time again, it don't matter because I'm not doing it for someone else. I'm doing it for God. And here's what happens. When you begin to get that attitude, there is a joy that begins to flow from your heart. And it's so sad that so many Christians, they just kind of do kind of do the, the thing out of duty. And then here's what happens is that, that, that we see it in, I've seen it in churches all across America that there are a whole bunch of sour face volunteers, right? Because we're just doing it because we got to do it. Not as a duty, and the pastor says we got to do it, whatever. And, and the truth of the matter is, that's not the reason that we do what we do. Come on, I'm preaching. Y'all ought to be saying amen or oh me or something. Come on. The truth is, you can be in the Father's house and not have the Father's heart. The truth is you can be doing the Father's job but not really have the Father's joy. Number three, look at this one. You can be in the Father's presence and not be serving in the Father's purpose. See, if you, if you look at this story, actually this story that Jesus tells is actually the third of a three-part trilogy. You thought that it was just George Lucas that invented the trilogy. No, 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 no. Jesus invented the trilogy. Because if you, if you back up just a few verses from this, and you will see that the parable of the lost son is actually the third in a three-part kind of a story that Jesus tells. And in the first story, he says, he says that there was a woman who had a coin that was incredibly valuable to her, and she lost the coin. And so what did she do? The Bible says that she swept the whole house, and she searched, and she searched and she searched until she found the coin. And then when she found the coin, she celebrated. She threw a great party because, because she found something that was valuable to her. And then he says there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep and he lost one of the sheep. And it says that he left the other 99 behind him and he went out into the field to search for the lost sheep. And then when he found the lost sheep, he brought the sheep back to the fold and they all celebrated because the sheep that was lost was now found. And then we look at this story of of the lost son and we see we see a little bit of a paradigm shift we see something something unusual that wasn't the same as the other two stories we see that there is a son that was lost but no one searches for him you notice that like they search for the coin and they search for the sheep but the son who's much more valuable than a coin or a sheep is lost but nobody looks for him why, why doesn't anybody look for him? Well, I don't know all of the reasons, but perhaps the reason that no one looked for him is that maybe it was the older brother's job to go look. The older brother, he didn't look, and why didn't he look? I don't know. I mean, I've studied some commentaries and a lot of different reasons, but I kind of think that maybe the reason that the older brother didn't go look for his younger brother is because maybe now he thought, I got the father to myself now. I don't have to share with my little younger pesky brother anymore, Right? And, and, and man, I'll just, I'll just be here because now, now I've got the Father and I've got His presence and I've got Him all to myself and there's no, there's no one to divide His attention from me. And maybe He was so much enjoying being the only Son, being, being the one with the Father all the time that He didn't go and look for His younger brother who was lost. And it reminds me so many times of the way we can be sometimes in church as Christians and as, as churchgoers that sometimes 
we can get so so much into the presence of God. We're in the Father's house and in the Father's presence. And oh, it's so awesome to just worship the Lord and the presence of God is here. And it is awesome, right? When we worship the Lord, and man, the presence of God is here. And sometimes, though, we can get so enamored with that that we forget that there are still lost sons and lost daughters that are out there away from the house of God that God has called us to go out and find them and bring them back into his house. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Peter. You remember the story when they went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is glorified and they see him for all that he is and the light shows down from heaven. And what does Peter do? Just like most of us Christians would do. Woo, this is awesome, man. You know, let's just camp out for here, here forever and we'll just build three tents and there'll be one for Moses and one for Abraham and one for me and this will just be awesome. And the whole time he forgot that there's a whole world that hadn't yet experienced Jesus in that way. The truth of the matter is there's nothing wrong with worship. I enjoy it. I think it's awesome. We should be able to worship. We ought to pray. We ought to be in the house of God and experience the presence of God. And yet there are still those in the world, lost sons and daughters, who need, who need an older brother who would love them enough to go out and to bring them in. In fact, this is what we see in Acts chapter 1. You might remember the story. Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. We see it, that there's the disciples. They're praying all together up in the upper room. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit just comes down on them. Like, I mean, like amazing stuff. Rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire on their heads. And I mean, just incredible presence of the Holy Spirit. And it would have been really easy to say, man, let's just hang out here. This is awesome, man. The Holy Spirit is in this place, but that's not what they did. In fact, when the Holy Spirit, when the presence of God showed up, then what did they do? Well, the Bible says that Peter stood up and he began to preach. And on that day, 3,000 people, lost sons and daughters, came to relationship with Jesus Christ. And then they, they began to reach out as a church. And the Bible says that every single day they added to their number those that were being saved. They understood that, hey, we can be in the Father's presence and not be actually living out the Father's purposes. And sometimes we can go, hey, it's all all about me and what I want and being with God and in his presence and forget that there are lost sons and daughters in the world that need someone to go out and to bring them in. You know, it could be that way sometimes in church where we can kind of get this attitude. Well, you know, church is about me. Sing the songs I like, you know. Hey, I like that song, but I don't like that one. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like, preach the kind of sermons that I want to hear. Make me feel good. Let's have the kind of service that I like and the kind of stuff that we like for our kids. And it can kind of even become, as Christians, kind of this consumer kind of a mindset. I'm going to go to a church that, that blesses me and that ministers to me. And don't get me wrong. Church ought to bless you and minister to you. And you ought to be able to grow. But let me just, let me just remind you of something today. It's not just about you. Right? In fact, this is what we see in the story that, that basically the, the father comes to the older brother and basically he gives him a little attitude adjustment. Anybody ever had an attitude adjustment before, right? Anybody ever had your dad give you an attitude adjustment before? I'm telling you, I had my dad give me a few and he wasn't quite as nice as the father in this story. But, but here's what we see in verse number 31. The father says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is already yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, who was dead, is now alive again. And who was lost is now found. Basically, basically the father says, hey, look, son, I want you to remember, it's, it's not just about you. 
there are others who are lost, and, and when they come in, we, we're going to celebrate. You know, I have to, I have to remind my, my daughters of this sometimes, especially when it comes to birthday time, especially when they were a little bit younger, you know, when birthday time would come, when it would be one of their birthday, the other would be jealous. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about if you have more than one kid, because, you know, she would be getting, you know, one of them would be getting presents and stuff, and the other one would be like, well, why don't I get any presents, right? And then my parents don't help at all, because they just give presents for both of them every time, and I'm like, mom, you're not helping, right? And sometimes, sometimes I would just, as a dad, I have to just lovingly just give a little a little attitude adjustment, and I'd have to just go, you know, babe, I know that your sister got presents today and you didn't get presents today, but let me just remind you, this is not Christmas. We're not all getting presents. This is, this is not your birthday. You had your birthday. This is your sister's birthday. So today, it's, it's, it's not about you. It's about, it's about her. And here's what the father is doing. Basically, he's saying, hey, son. You've been here the whole time, and I've been here with you the whole time, and everything I have is yours, but your brother, he is home, and this day's not about you. This day's about him, and sometimes I think we get this attitude like, well, you know, bless me and do this for me, and it's all about me, and let me just, let me just lovingly, as the kind of the father of this church, let me just give you a little, everybody a little attitude adjustment. Hey, guys, it's not just about you. And, you know, especially this time of year, this is why we're talking about this today, because next week is going to be one of those weeks. Next week is Easter, right? And we'll just be honest, all right? There are those people that we call the Easterites, right? You know what I'm saying? They only show up on Easter. Come on. How many know what I'm saying? And we're gonna, you're going to show up next week and you're going to be like, where in the world are all these people? I've never, I haven't seen you since Christmas. You know what I'm saying? And they're sitting in my chair, and they took my parking space. And I've been here the whole time, and where have you been? And you just think you're going to come in here and just act like you own the place. Come on, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And here's what I have to remind you. Hey, it's not just about you. There are lost sons, and there are lost daughters who are away from God. And guess what? Easter is the, is the, most, is the easiest time of the whole year to invite someone to church. It's the time when people, I mean, everybody goes to church on Easter because you got to show off your Easter dress and your new bright, shine, bright, you know, for whatever it's called, a pastel tie. You know what I'm saying? Easy for me to say, right. And so sometimes we can get this attitude. Why, don't you, why are we doing four services? That's, and i got to volunteer at those. And then after that, we're going to three services. I liked it better. And we were doing two. And we could have a little longer service. And there was more time in between the services. And everybody didn't have to volunteer to do all this stuff and park all out here and do all this stuff and whatever. How many know what I'm saying? We can get that attitude sometimes. And it's an older brother type attitude. And God just goes, hey, I love you. Here's the thing. The father in the story loved the son who stayed at home just as much as he loved the son who ran away. God loves you. He loves you so much. What's amazing is he loves you that, that he's kept you in his house and you have been in his presence the whole time. And everything that he has for you is yours. You are his son. You're not his slave. You're not doing the stuff because someone forced you to because I have to to be a good Christian. No, 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 no. You're not a slave, you're a son. You're a daughter. And God loves you, but he also wants you to realize that, hey, 
there are lost sons and there are lost daughters in this world who, who need to come back to relationship with the Father and experience the things that you have experienced. And some of us maybe even just need to remember that we used to be the lost son or we used to be the lost daughter. And maybe we're in the house now and maybe it's time that we decide that, hey, I'm not going to just be in the Father's house. I'm going to get the Father's heart. And I'm not going to just do the father's job. I'm not going to just be a greeter or an usher or teach the kids or whatever. I'm going to do it with the father's joy. And I'm going to do it for the right reasons. Not so someone will recognize me, but so that, so that others that are lost can come to relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to hog the father's presence to myself. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and serve the father's purpose. And I'm going to go out and bring in lost sons and lost daughters to come in. And I'm going to use Easter as a great opportunity to do that. Because I got friends and neighbors and loved ones and people that I know are not where they need to be in relationship with God. And if I just invite them, I believe they'll come. And I believe that the Father will touch their hearts and change their lives.